Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to a brand new Big Squid production, Space Podacy, a limited series hosted by Ben Elwood and me, Justin Hamilton, as we deep dive into some of our favourite science fiction movies. Strap yourself in as we prepare for liftoff and look at the Stanley Kubrick classic, 2001, A Space Odyssey. Thank you very much for joining us today. Ben and I are very excited about this series. We've been excited about it for quite a few months, and I think we were preparing to launch this in the middle of the year, and as you can guess, we were derailed by the 2021 lockdown. Ah, what a great time it was, but we are now back on track and figured if you're going to start a new science fiction series, well... Might as well start big, right? And what better way than going straight to the granddaddy of them all, Stanley Kubrick's masterpiece, 2001 A Space Odyssey. This recording ended up being a long one, so just as the original movie had an intermission, I've broken this podcast into two separate episodes. We have new segments, new art, and a new approach to this series, and I can't wait for you to join us. Before we start, I just wanted to let you know we have launched a Patreon. You asked us to get a Patreon going, and I eventually delivered. Like, quite eventually. Like, it took me uh, probably about a year. But anyway, you can (laughs) sign up and receive extra podcasts, scripts. You can join our private Facebook page and a whole lot more. The first bonus podcast has just been released yesterday, and it stars Rove McManus answering the questions that our Big Squid subscribers asked. It's a really fun podcast, and you can find that exclusively at the Patreon. And for those who do sign up, one of the perks you receive is an episode dedicated to you. And today's shout out goes to Tom Dahl, one of our first listeners to join us. Thank you very much for taking the time to subscribe, Tom. It is very much appreciated. And I can't wait to present you with some of the plans we have brewing away for the rest of the year. We're going to be trying out some new segments over there. And there's there's a, a storytelling aspect that I really really want to get right. So, uh, Tom, uh, you will be able to listen to that before anyone else and, you know, let me know where it's going right and uh, maybe where it's going wrong. Hopefully it's not going wrong. Hopefully you just like it. Anyway, thank you very much, Tom. As I said earlier, this is part one of our look at Kubrick's masterpiece with part two dropping tomorrow night. So if you're keen to hear the rest of our thoughts, you won't have too long to wait. If you're a bit gun-shy about signing up to the Patreon, come over to the Big Squid with Justin Hamilton Facebook page and just share your thoughts with Ben and I on the movie. All right, it's time to sit back and ponder the imposing black structure that haunts humanity's past and future, an enigmatic monolith that will kickstart the human race's journey to the stars. This is 2001 
a space odyssey. Welcome to voice print identification. When you see the red light go on, would you please state in the following order? Your destination, your nationality, and your full name. Moon, American, Floyd, Haywood R. Thank you. You are cleared through voice print identification. I guess. Quite frankly, we have had some very reliable intelligence reports that quite a serious epidemic has broken out at Clay's. I know there have been some conflicting views held by some of you regarding the need for complete security. Something apparently of an unknown origin. However, I accept the need for absolute secrecy in this. This is in fact what has happened. I'm really not at liberty to discuss this. We thought it might be the upper part of some buried structure, so we excavated out on all sides, but unfortunately we didn't find anything else. And hasn't been covered up by natural erosion or other forces. It seems to have been deliberately buried. Four-million-year-old black monolith has remained completely inert, except for a single, very powerful radio emission. Three weeks ago, the American spacecraft Discovery One left on its half-billion-mile voyage to Jupiter. The sixth member of the Discovery crew was the HAL 9000 computer. Everything is going extremely well. One gets the sense that he is capable of emotional responses. Well, hell, I'm dead. I'm not even over. No 9000 computer has ever made a mistake or distorted information. But Dave, I can't put my finger on it, but I said something strange about it. Just a moment. Just a moment. Do you know what happened? I'm sorry, Dave. I don't have enough information. Made radio contact with him yet. The radio is still dead. Hello, Hal. Do you read me? Hello, Hal. Do you read me? Do you read me, Hal? Do you read me, Hal? This mission is too important for me to allow you to jeopardize it. I don't know what you're talking about, Hal. This conversation can serve no purpose anymore. Dear, mm. it was such a funny little debate leading into this first episode of what movie to watch, wasn't it? Yeah. And it was, is 2001 the first yeah. or is it episode 2001? And it didn't seem like it could be anything in between. It, you had to start with it. Yes. Because it, it is, it, it, I'm not unlike the monolith, it yeah. looms over sci-fi and it's being talked about yes. ad nauseum. Yes. And... It, it's it is daunting because we're two fucking idiots mm. in the middle. We're recording this in the mm-hmm. middle of uh, the collapse of Western civilization. Two. Yep, right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I, I can't believe I'm the more optimistic one, just calling it lockdown. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. I, I see the collapse of all things. <laughs> oh no, I know. When you said we should do this on episode two thousand and one, I'm like, bro, what are you talking about? We're going to record them quickly, like yeah. I. <laughs> I wasn't. Uh, It'll become a daily podcast. Yeah, you don't understand. We're racing against time here to yeah. try and make this happen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but so we we came to the decision mm-hmm. that uh, we were going to do it this way, and then uh, I had a moment of doubt, and mm-hmm. I was talking to our friend Alice Fraser, yep. and I said, "Okay, uh, here's the pitch. What do you reckon?" And she and she said in that very calm Buddhist way, "Number one for certain." And I went, "Well." It has to be. That, she's my hell. That's what she sounded like. <laughs> and I said, yep, Alice Fraser, you are correct. And I felt so much better. It has to be. Uh, but it is also... Very, look, I think it's daunting to watch this movie. Uh, up until you've seen it a few times and you can actually be comfortable marinating in your own opinion of it. Because I think, as you say, this looms so large that I don't know about you, but the, at least the first two or three times I saw it, I had every film review I'd ever read about it, every documentary yeah. that I'd ever seen about it in my head. Yeah. So when that bone goes up in the air and turns into the spaceship, there's, you know, Roger Ebert in the back of my head going, this is the most seminal transitional cut in film history. Right. As opposed to, well, how do I respond to that moment? Yes. And I, for me, it took many viewings of this movie to know how I feel about that without all the voices in my head. Yeah, I reckon I am... 100% with you mm. 100% yeah. So uh, th- This dovetails Into my first question For mm. you Which mm. is uh, Just 
like very basically, when did you first see this film? Because I have a bit of a story to when <laughs> yeah, I first same. saw it. But, my, but I reckon, anyway, it, I, I think it is a seminal moment in my childhood, yep. but not actually 100% right. <laughs> For me, I feel like every time I've seen this movie was like the first time and like a seminal moment. Sim- similar to films like uh, Koyaanisqatsi or Baraka, I don't know if you've seen them. They're, they're mainly images with music. Yeah. Uh, and 2001 is very similar. You right. Know, it's, it's, it, uh, so I really feel like it reflects back at you wherever you are in your life. And yes. so if you watch this every five years and you've evolved or, or changed, it is a new profound experience every time. Well, for yeah. me anyway. But the first... <laughs> so hang on, where would you rate this viewing? This, this viewing was very high. Uh, because I saw it through a new lens that I'd never seen it before, which we'll get to. I yes, sorry to interrupt. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. once again, this is my top viewing experience of the top. movie. Yeah, it's, really? it was number one. Wow! Like I loved it more than I've, in, like, I'd probably now say I love it, yeah. which is weird because I've owned it on Blu-ray for a long time. Yeah. May have accidentally bought it three times. Ammo. <laughs> Back in the day when I was flushed with the coin from yeah. doing gigs every night yeah. like a fucking winner. And uh, then, um, but this time there yeah. was something something new in the experience and it whizzed by. Yep. This time made me realise just how ahead of its time this movie mm. has always been and still is. Yeah. Uh, and we'll get to, you know, the reflections on our current predicament that I think it reflected this time. Yeah. But the first time I saw it, uh, I would have been 20. Right. And that's a good age. 20 years old. And it was my first time I'd ever done LSD. And me and my buddy went went and saw Sin City. Sin City. (laughs) Right. We went to the the movies on acid and saw Sin City, which was confronting and yeah. like really you know whatever you're 20 years old like the most aggressive 3D animation you've ever seen yeah yeah it was full on uh, and the only thing worse would have been in 3D Fritz the cat <laughs> <laughs> Ralph Bashke animated cock coming at you <laughs> there is actually a movie where a 3D uh, penis comes out of the screen it's a Gaspar Noe's love a oh. giant phallus comes f- uh, thrusting out of the screen and sprays the audience with sperm that uh, is <laughs> wow it's Gaspar Noe yeah. Um, so after the experience of Sin City, we were pretty harrowed, pretty on edge. Uh, and so we went home. And for some reason, I had the DVD of 2001. Yeah. But had never, just, never, never got to it. Yeah. It's just one of those movies where you go, oh, fuck, I better buy that. Yeah. Have yeah, you seen yeah. it? What? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What's it? I heard it's really weird and trippy uh-huh. and blah, blah, blah. And so we put it on and I, I remember just being completely baffled. Right. Like, I didn't know what any of it, none of it made sense to me. I couldn't even put a metaphorical meaning on it. It was just, I mean, I loved it, but it was very confusing. Yeah. Uh, and I knew that A, I wasn't smart enough to engage with it at that point in my life. And B, it was one of those pieces of art that would require work. Yes. And either youth go, oh, it's really slow and boring and I'd never want to see that again. Yeah. Or some part of it gets under your skin and you're like, no, I need to Yeah. I need to go back to this. Yeah, those movies are kind of fascinating, yeah. aren't they? Where yeah. they're like, you, you can't even say that you liked it. Mm. But I've got to go back. Uh, and I, I feel like a lot of Kubrick stuff is that. Yeah. Um, Barry Lyndon, for sure. Yeah. Um, Eyes Wide Shut, I think. You oh know. yeah, the last time I I only rewatched uh, Eyes Wide Shut this year yeah. and had a much different yeah. reaction to it. E- even doing like a one eighty spin on Nicole Kidman, where yeah. I thought when I first saw her, I was like, "Oh God, what's going on here?" Yeah. And then I watched it this time, I went, "Oh my God, she's a genius! I'm <laughs> yeah. an idiot! Yeah. Like I'm an idiot!" Yeah. I wanted to go back and fight me. The general rule with Kubrick, and I know it's a cliche, but it's usually the viewer. Usually, the viewer is wrong. Uh, everything is so meticulous and planned that, you know... Yeah, that's a great quote. <laughs> With Kubrick, usually the viewer but is it's, wrong. But it's true, you know, like all these decisions that... You know, I know a lot of the criticism that's levelled, if there is any criticism for 2001, is the banality of the acting and the, the, the fact that all life and soul is drained out of it. But that's the point. Yeah. That's the, you know, so, so much of the meditative slowness of it is the point. And yeah. either you kind of... Um, 
accept that or you like I know like my mum hates this movie oh so does my mum I think she had an experience with this movie in the 70s or whatever and just fuck and it's like she hasn't seen it for 30 years but it, the mention of that movie which right. is like oh I hate that fucking movie my mum's given it three goes over really? the years three goes and she Doesn't just it. finds it pretentious and it's like so it is <laughs> but that's okay yeah I know <laughs> I've always loved that thing where people used to say to David Bowie and Brian Eno did I just mention Bowie have a drink everybody <laughs> new podcast but guess what still the same old shit yeah. and uh, people were calling them pretentious and they just were like yeah well, like we've like we're opening up the school of pretension like yeah. we're going to teach people how to be pretentious yeah there's nothing wrong with pret- I mean when it's done on such a on such a level when you're looking yeah. at those special effects and they're 50 years old and it's still bre- like breath taking yeah it's incredible it's incredible it's incredible and 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 i felt like such a cliche when i was watching it thinking that over and over again like and just and out loud kind of gasping at things going this is just amazing well that's the thing that was so daunting about you know getting back to what we were talking about at the start Mm. which is everything's been said Mm. so yeah maybe the reason i enjoyed this uh, viewing so much was because i was Rather than just letting it kind of wash over me, I was really interacting with it, trying to find new things that uh, people won't be sitting here listening and going, oh, yeah, no, that is a great jump cut. Yeah, good one, Hamo. Fuck. Yeah. You know, so so my first viewing is a completely different story to you. Yeah. Uh, My auntie and grandfather took me to see it after it was reissued at the Piccadilly Cinema in Adelaide, which was a beautiful cinema. Mm. And uh, I don't remember this happening, but mum said, don't take him to see that. Like, he saw Star Wars. Like, this is a very different movie. Like, I know they're both sci-fi, but this is... And... uh, so we went, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like... How old? Like, 27. No, I'm uh, <laughs> like, when did Star Wars come out? So I must have been like so five or six, you oh, know. I'm too young. And so it gets to the break. Hmm. And I have a feeling huh. my auntie and grandfather kind of taught me into saying, let's go. Right. So I can't tell you what I was experiencing but I do remember them sort of talking about it. And I look, I will hazard a guess. I did not fucking understand the no. word that was happening. No. But what a... So we left at half time. Uh-huh. And so I never saw the good bit. Like, at least from an action point of view. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But the... So I see it as a seminal moment in my life because... I just reckon I'd be a heaps better person. And <laughs> you'd if, gone through if, the star if, field. If I'd gone with my mum and just had her explain what had happened up until half time. Yeah. And then I could have gone back in and had my mind blown. Like I just you know who I'd be? Yeah. Christopher Nolan. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that happened to him, right? Yeah. He did see this movie. Yeah. And so did Grant Morrison. Yeah. Yeah. And David Bowie. Like, Bowie goes, right. take, drops a little bit of uh, hash, goes and sits there, and suddenly he's fucking building out Space Oddity. Like, <laughs> you know, like, what a phenomenal movie. And I honestly do believe, yep. like, I, look, I'm being mildly melodramatic for the sake of uh, humour and entertainment. <laughs> uh, but I do think I'd be stacks better. <laughs> <laughs> If, like, Dave Bowman, you'd gone through the yeah. star field. Yeah. yeah. A little six-year-old. Like, yeah. Freeze-frame image, images of him in the space. <laughs> yeah. In the space. Someone, like, skits. <laughs> that would have been you. That would have been That's me. <laughs> yeah. Gurning all yeah. over the place. Go go back to hang out with my friends. They're playing with their Star Wars action figures. I'm just holding up, a, like, a, a massive domino backwards, you know. No, mate, I've seen things. Yeah, I'm playing with this, mate. It's just a, it's just a, it's just a brick. How dare you? This is the future. So. Uh, I thought this would make you laugh. Yeah. Uh, here are the top four questions on Google for the film. You know Great. what you do? Great. So uh, these are the four questions. Yeah. We don't have to answer them, but I just I found it really entertaining. What is the meaning of 2001? Uh-huh. Why is 2001 so special? <laughs> yeah. What is the story of 2001, A Space Odyssey? Yeah. And why is 2001, A Space Odyssey so boring? <laughs> 
that's, that's in order too. That's not me why? fudging it. I love how if you were bored by the movie, you would have to consult with Google why you were bored. You yeah, why just is make this that boring? decision on your own. Sorry, I was just sitting there and I just couldn't give a fuck about anything that was happening and I just had my mind wander and I thought, God, this film's not ending. And then I wanted a sandwich. I went and got the sandwich. I ate it. It was a good sandwich. And I sat back down and I thought, fuck, this movie's still going. <laughs> Jesus Christ, rub the bit between your toes, that bit of skin, that felt good. Then the movie ended. Oh, fuck, I was bored. But I have no idea why I was bored. So I got onto Google. <laughs> And they said it was boring because it's slow paced and you got to think about it. And yeah, I should have watched The Fast and the Furious. Well, that, that well, like that that kind of also sums up the movie perfectly. I yeah, reckon, yeah. like the the whole experience of the movie uh, across the board is people being engaged with it and wondering what like what is the meaning of this yeah, film. Yeah, yeah. And then and then there's people who are. I reckon why is 2001 so special? I reckon they haven't seen it. I reckon they're 2001 curious. <laughs> right? Yep. And then uh, what is the story of 2001 A Space Odyssey? That's that's a mixture of people who are curious and people who have seen it <laughs> and, and have no idea what just happened. And then, yeah, yeah, yeah. Why is the movie so boring? Well, they're just the fucking haters, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're but out there. I, I feel like, and I, this goes back to what we were saying before about just the baggage that surrounds this movie that... Uh, I mean, I don't even, especially like I, we experienced this movie, or you were very young. I was in my early twenties, but it was definitely way before um, film criticism online yep. and the fact that you could read a thousand articles on each scene of every movie ever made. I don't know how the modern internet user that's never seen this movie sits with this movie and right. has a completely uh, subjective experience with it. Yeah, um, and especially now. I, I, have you ever seen this movie at the cinemas? Yes. Yeah, see, that is a whole... I think that's the only time I'd seen the movie... Sorry, maybe, since I left at half-time. Since you left at half-time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 as a grown-up. Yeah, yeah, and I think that was the, that was the moment that I realised that was probably the third or fourth time I'd seen it. That was the first time I fell in love with it. Right. Sitting in the front row at the Orpheum, and it's bigger than life, yeah. and there it is, and you can really just marinate in it. Yeah, you know how I feel about uh, hearing it like feeling it in the chest as well. And yeah. that's a movie that you feel. Oh yeah. And the silences are fucking silent. Oh. And you know, I unless... have a question about that later on, yeah. which is, oh, I'll just ask you now, yeah. like, oh, God, I wish more movies use silence. Yeah. Like proper silence. Yeah. It's so effective. And it, it's amazing how, you know, claustrophobic it makes you feel. And the times 100%. that silence has been used in films is, uh, is phenomenal. Like, you know, yeah. Nolan, fucking cribs it for Interstellar. Yep. Tell you what, makes me like somehow love that film even more because I enjoy <laughs> quite clearly seeing the lineage. Totally. You know? Like it's really... Yep. Like it's... Um, how can I describe it? It's like... Uh, it's like listening to David Bowie's Young <laughs> Americans and then you listen to like original disco and you see the through line and you go, oh yeah, fuck, this yeah. is great. Yeah. Anyway, I can bring everything back, back to the to same Bowie. things. <laughs> That'd be like that about Dad, but um, but I yeah, do, I do like the, the 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 most important lineage that was carried through to Interstellar is the use of practical effects. Oh, um, absolutely! And yeah, I don't think that can be exaggerated enough. How I mean, you know, in the back of your brain, you're going, "I know this is a very intricate model." Yeah, but my God, it's really easy to just forget and really think it's, you're watching the real thing. Oh yeah, well, you know, like this is a bit of a dumb comment on my behalf but yeah. it was the first time i'd watched it and thought fuck of course george lucas loves this film yeah of course yeah like yeah. there's when the dome's opening it's like you know seven star destroyers are about to boop in the middle with their noses you know <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah yeah it's um like this rewatch has uh really uh, really done it for me so i've got a segment for you mm. This is uh the first time we've ever done this you don't even know what these segments no, are called. go for it so we've got segments yeah this is uh, First Context. Okay? Okay. Play on First Contact. Yes, yes. That's about context. Uh-huh. <laughs> These are... I just picked out some random sci-fi movies that came out before it and after. So, th to help us kind of marinate in the idea. That's a good word that yes. you used earlier. Uh, in what it was like when this comes out. Right? Yep. So, before... This is in... Uh, so, all I did was Wikipedia uh, sci-fi movies, went by the decades, yeah. and then just picked out some... One from each kind of year yeah, yeah, before, yeah. just because it's fun. Yep. So, 1963, The Nutty Professor. <laughs> <laughs> boing, boing, boing. 
imagine going from nothing. Imagine watching the Nutty <laughs> Professor and then watching fucking apes learn how to use bones. Yeah, yeah. 1964, Santa Claus conquers the Martians. <laughs> Uh, 1965, Alphaville by Jean-Luc Godard. Have you ever seen Alphaville? We'll watch that for for this. I only watched that for the first time in the last 18 months. It's great. Uh, 1966, Fahrenheit 451 by uh, Francois Chauvel. Uh, 1967, Jules Verne's Rocket to the Moon. Then we get 2001. Is there, a, is there a Fahrenheit 451 movie? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. I saw it a long time ago, but I remember it being good. It's good? Yeah. That from book what is I remember. fucking great. Yeah. Sorry, diversion. Yeah. No, 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 no. Yeah, no. Yeah. It's a, I didn't mind the Michael B. Jordan one either. Did really? you see that? No, I didn't see it. I saw it that. Good. It looked too kind of uh, like uh, AMC for me. Oh, yeah, but it's Michael B. Jordan. Yeah. And if I... God, I wish he was my son. I love him so much. Um, and Not then, possible. You never know. I took after his mum. I dream a dream. Yeah. Uh, 1969, The Computer Wore Tennis Shoes, starring Kurt Russell. It was a Disney movie. And I looked at the poster, and on the poster, it said, Program for Laughs. Oh, yay, yay. <laughs> and so, wait, 2001 comes out 69? 68. 69 68. was The Computer Wore tennis shoes, which I hope we will get to. Episode <laughs> nineteen thousand. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, like, this really gives you a sense of whoa, fuck. This oh, movie yeah. is so different. <laughs> yeah, and then and, and and why the reception to it was, you know, I mean, I mixed. think mixed. And when it was bad, it was outright hostile. Yeah, you know, there's stories yeah. of celebrities storming yeah, Rock out, Hudson. Rock Hudson storming out of the premiere. This doesn't make any sense. This I know. You know. Like Rock Hudson said that yeah. he didn't make any sense. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Uh, I know it's not popular to talk about uh, Woody Allen, but I've seen an interview with him where he talks about the f- he saw it the first time and hated it. Saw it the second time and realised that uh, maybe there's something here that I don't get, and then the third time realised that he loved it. Right, it's an incredible, you know, it's an incredibly challenging film, pace wise, etc. In this day and age, let alone in the late '60s. Yeah, you know, at the end of uh, you know the psychedelic era and flower power and yeah. everything, because um, well, it, it leans into some of the psychedelic kind of um, uh, visual culture. Yeah, but because it's so until that. Um, Starfield sequence at the end but before that it's so clinical and cold yeah. and mechanical yeah. that um, you know it's it's very jarring the that's what makes it pop though yeah. doesn't it it's just so yeah. oh this is what the movie is oh now check out this bit yeah. and I love how they just started remarketing it you know yep. <laughs> the ultimate trip I think was the yeah. tagline for it yeah 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 well of course they realised there was a bunch of people you know that wanted to smoke joints and yeah. watch 2001 yeah the counterculture really saved this film uh, yeah. you know because uh, like Pauline Kael wrote awful reviews like it was it was Really fascinating to read the reviews yeah, yeah, as yeah. well. Uh, I think Roger Ebert was no Roger Ebert was a really good review. He was uh, he, like I at some point he was saying you know there were he could hear people sniffling that um, you know you should have different classes of people like smart people can you know have to show an ID before they can see this film uh. and and it was but it was someone being derogatory. Uh, about smart people yeah. and like you know Roger Ebert comes in hot he's just <laughs> yeah. like yeah no I do yeah I do with that put them put all those other naysayers in a pen and I'll <laughs> watch it with the right people I thought that's, that's a fun review well it's interesting you know because people I mean and I'm assuming it's always been the case but people always talk about you know we want to cinema hasn't even reached the limits of what it can do and we want to see new things and th- show me something I've never seen before but I mean, this is the, one of the best examples of it, but there's a dozen times a dozen examples through film history of movies that at the time were completely panned yeah. and fapped away that were so ahead of their time. They were literally showing something new yeah. that audiences had to grow the eyes and the ears to actually appreciate. It, that, that's what makes the Academy Awards Ugh. fascinating. Yeah. Like, really, to yeah. kind of look back and, yeah. you know, the movies that have won Best Picture... Yeah. And you're looking, thinking, oh, I've, like, I've heard of it. Yeah. But I have not had any urge to see that. But the four on either side are classics Phenomenal. that have been around for decades that are, you know, the movies of, of all time. Yeah, I'm always, I'm, like, I'm always reluctant to be negative about movies that won Best Picture because it's not their fault. No. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Apart from The Shape of Water. But, uh, <laughs> have a drink, people. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but the... Uh, 
But you know, like yeah. that Dancers with Stars beat Goodfellas. Oh, like yeah, like that is an outrageously good film. Yeah, of course. But it's, I think the nineteen seventy nine one. There's one year where it's like Network Apocalypse Now. Yeah, the, the, the I think the Deer Hunter. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm misquoting, but there's there's I think it's seventy eight or seventy nine. Yeah, whatever one is some movie that no one's ever seen, and the, and all the other four are right. you know top one hundred of all time films. Yeah, yeah. So it's, I mean, yeah, it's very immediate in the moment, and a lot of the time, what actually resonates, you know, has to kind of find its audience. Yeah, yeah. Everyone has to kind of catch up and. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, no, no. I get it. I've yeah. had, and I, I say that as someone who did exactly the same thing. I had to catch up. I had to two thousand one. Yeah, yeah I, I had to watch yeah. enough movies and read enough books and have more of a sense of self. And I think that's why this uh, viewing of it was yeah. so resonant. Yeah. Uh, so our next segment is the year that was, and I thought I'd uh, you might find this interesting. These are movies that came out the same year. Great. Okay. So it's interesting. There's a French movie called Jetame, Jetame, I think, which is I Love You, I Love You, which is, uh, uh, sorry, these are the sci-fi movies that came out this year. Yeah, yeah. It's a man is asked to participate in a mysterious experiment in time travel when he leaves hospital after a suicide. I saw you pointing at me. You've seen it? I've seen it. It's what 12 Monkeys is based on. Right. Yeah. It's a very interesting film. Yeah. Because it's all done with still photography. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, Barbarella. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, Thunderbird 6. Uh-huh. And Planet of the Apes. Planet of the Apes is still a fucking incredible film. Right, that's... Incredible film. That's a good year for sci-fi. Yeah. Like, I'm thinking of all yeah. our, you know, our forebears in the world of nerdology. And that's actually true, right? Yeah. Like, a lot of granddad films there. Yeah. Yeah, Planet of the Apes, huge influence. Barbarella? Yeah. yeah. Like that has a cult following, a cult. at least, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know. And, you know, probably, you know, that kitschy kind of aesthetic, yeah. you know, bled down. Uh, 2001, obviously, and uh, the 12 Monkeys movie. I'm, I'm mispr- I can't pronounce the French name of it. Let's not go through it. Yeah, okay. I already tried it. <laughs> I'm exhausted. <laughs> I need a little nap. Um, so, let's uh, dig into the film. Uh, <laughs> I just looked down and I went, oh, yeah. Uh for a moment, I was like, God, I hope we have enough to talk about. Looked at the time. Yep, we'll be fine. Um, so, is there a part of you that would have liked to have stayed with the uh, prehistoric tribe for, like, heaps longer? Nah, because, you know, I know I know exactly. It's like the flip book of fucking the horrors of humanity. For, like, you know, like, you know, I, I think that one image of that, especially when he turns back over his shoulder and goes, Meh! Right. That's, that's, that, that sums the whole thing up. And it is... It chills me to my bones every time I see it. Just that there, there's a real sense, and and this this kind of leans into my disdain for humanity. But there is a moment every time that monkey realizes what that bone can do, which may I say is one of the best pieces of character acting I've seen in any movie ever. Like it's phenomenal. It's phenomenal. Like, you know everything. Ph- everything that, that prehistoric. Furry man is thinking. You literally see second. the revelation happen, the mo- the moment, and I'm not talking the moment where he bangs nah. the bone down for the first time in his in his the way, just the way he's tilting his head. Yeah, it's just phenomenal. But that mo- that moment, I-, I I can't think of a moment in a film that fills me with more impending dread than that moment right. because it's that like, uh, well, here we go. <laughs> well, I, like to be honest, when I was thinking about it, I d- didn't even think of that. Like. That bit, yeah. I, I totally agree, and I would prefer that that is that, yeah. that's enough. But what I actually was thinking when I wrote the question was, uh, like, you know, the peaceful part, like, you oh. know, all that bit. I could have stayed there oh, for a yeah, while. Yeah, of yeah. course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Them just hanging out, getting some berries. Oh, totally <laughs> you know, hanging out with that, tapirs. It looks lovely, mate. It sounds like your video game experience you were telling me about before. <laughs> Red Dead Redemption. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. Two and a half hours trying to find a badger. Yeah. Like, not a euphemism, <laughs> people. That is literally what he did. Yeah, I got to say, lounging out with tapirs looks a lot better than the current situation we're in oh yeah you know and there is and you know there's that real on um, it's very ominous that moment where the monolith appears and it's oh. you know knowing what we know yes you know of where all this leads to and i'm not talking about the world of the film no i'm just talking about you know uh there's i don't know if you've ever seen the i think it's the mammals episode of life david attenborough's life it's one of those uh where they follow a band of chimpanzees that have learnt how to hunt right and this is quite a... It's either a new discovery or a new skill that they've acquired. And 
they don't just hunt. They go into full formation. There's monkey chimpanzees posted on one end of the bush that are creating distractions and diversions to corral rhesus monkeys into the hands of guys that are waiting. And they're using banging, tapping signals on the roots of the trees. They're communicating with each other. Wow. And I remember the first time I watched that and it was, it was so confronting because it was like, well, this is, this is how it starts. Right. Yeah. Like if we weren't around and you let these guys just run, their course for a million and a half, two million years. Yeah. Well, eventually they're going to, you know, they're going to start growing a, you know, more involved brain. They're yeah. going to start getting culture, rah, rah, rah. And, you know, it really felt like cameras back in time. Like this was us at yeah. some point. Um, and this film with mime artists and, you know, pre-digital makeup create that feeling so authentically. Yeah. Not just the violence, but, you know, just the day-to-day harrow of life. You know, when they're hiding under that rock from that leopard, they yeah. look fucking terrified. They look terrified. <laughs> but also, each one has a distinct personality, Absolutely. which they, you know, you watched the documentaries yes. on the Blu-ray as well, didn't you? Yes. And it's a, uh, it's a fascinating listen. Uh, like, I'd completely forgotten that the lead was called Moonwatcher and yeah. had it had an official name yeah. as well uh but yeah you can see all of them uh reacting in these uh bizarre ways and then you go it's so tranquil and the uh like even the choice of the glow in the um what is it the the um uh, the um cheetah's eyes oh the cheetah's eyes yes, 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 yeah. yes even that glow is such a good choice you go oh fuck like now I feel like for a moment I'm looking at Rachel in Blade Runner. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like it's yeah. uh, like you just <laughs> you just keep watching this film and you're going, "Yep, there's that film. Yep, there's that film." Oh, 100%. But the um tranquility of it and then the just the hard edges of the monolith just being there. Mm-hmm. Like so many movies that you see when they make aliens. We'll get to this a little bit later as well. You just sit there going, "Shut up." Yep. And then you just put a fucking slab yep. and you're like, that is fucking scary. <laughs> yeah, it's scary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it's really scary. Well, yeah, and the, and the, at the eight people, it's almost as though they have a very kind of subconscious understanding of the consequences of engaging with this thing. Oh, yeah. You the know? tentativeness yeah. as well. Because it's, cause it's mirrored when Hayward does pretty much the same move on the moon. Yes. When he touches it, he's, he's almost like the ape. There's like... A, I know something's going to happen and I don't know how to articulate it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and I have my theories of the difference between those two touches. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, um, you know, they almost realise that they're opening a gate that can't be closed after yeah. this. And is it is it worth it or will it be this giant Faustian bargain? I mean, but it also seems unavoidable. Right. You know, it's, it, it, it's uh, you know. Yeah, that's interesting. There's no choice in it. Well, no. I mean, what are you going to do? You're just going to go pretend that you didn't see this giant black domino (laughs) jutting out of the rocks? Like, I mean, clearly it's completely destabilized their sense of reality and what's possible and everything. Yeah. Um, You know, which... You know, I know there's there's a lot of conversation over the years of what is the monolith, and it, like it, it isn't anything. It's the metaphor of whatever that ineffable moment was right. that led, you know, monkey people to start not being monkey people. Yeah, um, which you know I do believe is inevitable. Like I say, if you if we went around and you left those chimpanzees to go, yeah, they might not look like humans in two million years, but I don't doubt that they would have, you know culture and villages and all the rest yeah something going on something going on the you know there's the when when you're a scientist what was the book i read it's a really brilliant book he was talking about how you get the upgrade around four or five Mm. so you go from being an eating shitting farting burping machine to being cognizant Mm -hmm. of the idea that other people have thoughts as well and that's where imaginary friends supposedly come from it's you and that's why invariably your imaginary friend actually looks like you yeah, of course my my imaginary friend was called jeffrey yeah right mine was ralph yeah <laughs> ralph he rode on the roof of the car amazing <laughs> jeffrey used to pretend to climb up the walls like spider-man oh, that's cool. uh, the nicholas hammond spider-man too by the way <laughs> old school yeah um so yeah that's kind of what um that's what the monolith is as well it's mm. it's the it's the upgrade in yeah. uh oh shit 
there's more going on outside. Yeah, it's getting a new layer of, of the, you know, because the brain does, you know, there's there's the primitive brain right down the bottom and then yeah. there's these stratas on top of it that lead to increasing consciousness and self-awareness. And it's, yeah, it's that moment. The brain, you know, gets a new bit to it that yeah. can suddenly conceive of language or, the, you know, theory of other minds. Yeah. You know. I was... Fascinated in all this uh, research uh, that I did for it, which was uh, um, uh, always so. I always interpreted that the monolith was the alien, but it seems like Kubrick and that intended it to be the device. It's a fucking iPhone, man. Yeah, that's well, what the fucking that's what the fucking monolith is. It's an yeah. iPhone, and it's led to the exact same problems. <laughs> the, the iPhones led to the exact same bullshit problems that the fucking monolith did. Right. Seriously, we should never, that monkey never should have touched that fucking iPhone. <laughs> right. You know, originally they wanted to project images on the um, yes. monolith. Yeah, that yeah. was in my squid bits. Like that, an actual, that, like an actual um, proper device. Yeah, which is I'm glad they didn't do that. Yes, yeah, same. Like hundred percent. Like because then. Like, if I'm watching a monkey watch Jane Fonda do jazzercise, <laughs> then I'm, like, I'm taken out of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or, or a shoddy recreation of Napoleon in the Battle of Waterloo or something like that. Like a yeah. flip book of what's to come. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a shorthand in so many things. Yeah. You know, you'll see, um, you know... I've seen this even done well, by the way, but yeah. you'll see all the things of people going to war, yeah. people dropping bombs, people yeah. being awful, yeah. someone setting themselves on fire, and then you'll see, look, someone's touching a kitten. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, I guess the metaphor is humanity. Some good, some bad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nah, just get straight to caving your fucking enemy's head in, mate. Get that bone. Oh, crush my him. Lord. But yeah, it, it's, I- and it's maniacal as well. That's something I kind of... I'd kind of always watched it and just, to be honest... You know, like it's visually striking mm. and just kind of watched it. Mm. But this time, like, I, as you're really watching it, you're going, this guy has gone from, ah, you know, maybe he'll grow up to be a poet to, <laughs> I am going to fucking do UFC. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you can see the reaction of the um, the band of um, eight people that, yeah. that you know. That- Sorry, I'm laughing because that was my next question was going to be, <laughs> what do you think, like... What do you think is going on in the tribe that is first hit with weapons? Like, what do you think they're well, talking they, they, about? You can, but you can see they're con- <laughs> they, you can see they're confused as fuck. Yes. but they also understand what's happened yeah. on the same level like a five year old understands when they see a dead bird or something. Like, yeah. life is gone and you took it and we yeah. haven't quite figured out how you did that yeah. my favorite my favorite ape guy is the one that just throws his arms up in the air like an old jewish grandmother oh, like, yeah. ah, like what, what are you doing man yeah. <laughs> come on oh, that's not in the rule book <laughs> yeah exactly hang on didn't we didn't we have a gentleman's handshake just beforehand to say yeah. right uh no weapons. Yeah. Uh, take your belts off. Yeah, combat is just screaming at each other, and whoever screams the loudest, yeah. you know, wins. And if this is your first time at Neanderthal Club, <laughs> you got to fight. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, it's uh, yeah, all that acting as well. It's great. <laughs> and the guy that goes down, yeah, he is just making sure that he stays down as well. He's fucking dead. Like I reckon the next invention was referees. <laughs> <laughs> Red card. <laughs> Off. <laughs> oh, man. It is... Uh, it, it's it's so fascinating. There was In one of the docos, a woman said that, uh, you know, <laughs> testosterone is yeah. what fuels evolution because it's all, you know, <laughs> the desire to create and destroy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I, 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 that's definitely a, um, a theory. Um, I know an archaeologist friend of ours that uh, balks at that theory. Oh really? Yeah, who's right. uh his, you know that's a that's a very kind of male centric view of evolution. I'm sure you know, I'm sure it played a part. Yeah. I'm sure it definitely played a part. That's interesting because uh I heard a woman say it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which it does not debunk that uh, thinks it's a male theory, mm. but um mm. you know, yeah, I, I agree with you. I would not put it all down to that, but you know. I mean yeah. there's a lot of th- have you heard the stoned ape theory? Oh. <laughs> If anyone was wondering why we're friends, my next question was, what do you prefer? Aliens help kickstart humanity or we all consume the magic mushrooms that grew yeah, up in the cow mushrooms. shit? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I read Terence McKenna's Food of the Gods when I was in my early 20s. Yeah. Uh, and that book, I think, is the kind of, well, from, from what I know, there might be newer books, but that at the time was the leading edge kind of theory on this, you know, that... Um, 
magic mushrooms and psychedelics gave us, uh, when we were eight people, the ability to conceptualize and so to start naming things and to start the creation of language and all that stuff. I will never know. Right. But it's a great theory. It's a great theory. <laughs> I love it. Like, imagine that. Like, you're a Neanderthal person or Homo sapien. I don't know what the correct uh, yeah. terminology is. Many. Uh, so sorry, I'm new to this. So sorry if you're a Neanderthal. Yeah. You're listening to this. I'm so like, I should have done my research. Like, I'm new. Anyway, um, but imagine being that dude uh, or dudette uh, and you, you're having fun and then you see some mushrooms growing into some cow shit and there's... No way, you're not giving that a crack. So you have a bite, and then suddenly, an hour and a half later, you're going, oh, how good would shelves be? I'm going to create shelves to put my rocks. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, there are animals in nature that seek magic mushrooms out. There's a group of chimpanzees, I I think they're in Africa, who seasonally will go out of their territory to go and collect the magic mushrooms that are growing. Right. There's deer. Hang on, we'll, what, so what do they do when they get them? Do they... Apparently they just roll around laughing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they've nailed life. I know someone who could help them out if they uh, want to stay at their home. Someone who might... <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of animals that seek, seek out... Ho- I mean, I, look, yeah. I, think that, I think that seeking out altered state of consciousness is completely... Um, I mean, look, our entire civilization is soaked with alcohol and drugs, so yeah. I think it's the norm. I think yeah. conscious organisms seek out strange divergent ways of thought um and i I find it fascinating to think what an animal would be experiencing (laughs) mushrooms or weed or whatever yeah you know is there there some kind of resonant awareness while they're tripping like whoa i'm a dog (laughs) god isn't an anagram a dog for no reason man (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah looking maybe maybe they're getting uh, cocky you know like that uh, that chihuahua's looking up at you going i reckon i can fucking take him i reckon i can take him mate or i'm one with the chihuahua me and the chihuahua are the same thing we're all descended from gray wolves man yeah, yeah. <laughs> i like the idea of having a pet hamster that projects that maybe you don't really exist yeah maybe maybe they're just there to feed me and yeah. they only exist when i think of them yeah totally yeah uh i kind of I, I I kind of wish both were true. I wish yeah. we were being observed by aliens. <laughs> they saw some chimps having some magic mushrooms, and they went, "Right, boys, time to go down. Let's help them out. <laughs> yeah. This is good to go. Yep. We needed to get to this moment." I like the idea that the aliens. I like the Douglas Adams theory that the aliens are more kind of uh, watching out for us. You know, oh, yes. spreading beyond our region. Like, yeah. yeah, all right. The, the pest control needs to be called in. Yeah, that's they're, they're fucking off world. Well, that's um, <laughs> that's always been a um, a uh, plot idea that I've never understood why more comics didn't lean into. Like, mm. like, like when you think about it, you go. Man, that tiny little planet seems to have a big effect on the rest of their cosmologies. You know, Superman, etc. Blah yeah. blah blah. You know, in the Marvel universe, they're always going off to planetary wars and pulling shit out of the fire. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, it's like, why is there just not heaps of stories where for seven years there's just a barrier around us? Yeah, yeah. And we can't get out. Sort your shit out, yeah. Earth. Yeah. No, I wouldn't want to know us. No. God, oh no. my God. Not you know, our, not in our current form. And that is why I think. If we can jump ahead a little bit, but why not? That is why I think that the monolith rejects humanity when they find it on the moon. I think. Oh, is that what you? I think? believe that the monolith is <laughs> keeping in keeping in keeping in line with this um, metaphor of the monolith being an iPod or an iPhone. Yeah. I think that there's the moment where the eight people touch it yep. and they get the promise of what this technology can bring, you know, this great consciousness upload and this ability to do things that you never thought possible and create this giant technologized civilization. And then by the time we've got the civilization, we have become more robotic than the robots. Right. We are drained of all of our humanity. We have become too reliant on the technology and we've lost something of ourselves culminating in the moment where they find the monolith and the first fucking thing they can think to do with it is take a photo of it. Right. And I don't think it's a coincidence that the moment they try to take a photo with it, the monolith goes, nah, this is, that, that's it. That's all you can think to do with me. 
and makes their heads explode and fucks off to Jupiter. That's oh, what, what I think is going on. Right. <laughs> right. Much like, much like with our current technology, all we can think to fucking do with it is yeah. take fucking photos and make silly videos where we dance and make yeah. farty noises. And it's this God machine. It's a mother box. And look what it's done to our society. It's just completely ravaged it and turned us into these weird, superstitious kind of, you know, people who are just in these information bubbles. Right. I think we're using the technology all wrong. And I think that's, that, that's definitely what I saw this viewing. This idea that technology can only get us so far. And before, you know, we need to either merge with it properly or start to learn to use it better. Okay. I've got too many questions that I want to lead back to that. So right. I'm going to go backwards for a sec but I'm fascinated by this but this also uh, this also goes into uh, what you're talking Mm -hmm. about Um, by the way I I don't think we really need to discuss the jump cut no like it's it's I, w- I, was, I will say one us. thing about it. Oh, yeah. I, t- uh, one, uh, I took a dear friend of mine to see this at the Orpheum a few years ago. She'd never seen 2001. She'd never seen any- She'd never heard about 2001. She knew nothing about 2001. Right. And so I was sitting there in great anticipation of that moment because how rare it is to sit with someone that doesn't know that cut yeah. is coming. Yeah. And <laughs> the noise she made when that cut happened was one of the best noises I've ever heard in my life. It was like this orgasmic kind of like, oh, shit. Oh, wow. You know, and it was the purest reaction to something that, you know, it's like how rare it is to meet someone that doesn't know the twist to Psycho. Right. Um, You know, one of those, you can actually have this pure experience of this moment that's kind of been, you know, co-opted and, you know, very hard to experience fresh. Uh, And watching her experience, it made me kind of realize what it must have been like before all the think pieces and all the editorials and everything where that you she did not see that coming yeah wow that's so cool it's yeah. it's great being in the cinema for that experience yeah. you know yeah that was like when i was sitting next to my friend uh when we went to see uh, tarantino's uh, once upon a time in hollywood yeah. and brad pitt took off his shirt and the room was silent but i heard her legs crunch her popcorn between her thighs <laughs> just ever so slightly and i went yeah no fair enough i felt the same way um so the the question I have for you is, uh, uh, which is, oh, Hayward Floyd. Like, he just makes me laugh yes. so much. I think that is a really, really funny character. Yep. He, I think everything about him you need to know is the first time you see him and he is just having a sleep on the way to yep. the moon. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. how bored he is. Yes. Like, that's me flying in Australia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that sums up the... But but he's indicative of the entire attitude of where humanity is at at this point, where yeah. the mundanity and the banality of space travel... Uh, and again, that's something new that I'd not seen. You know, we're suddenly in this age overnight almost where commercial space travel seems like it might happen if we're yeah. not all dead in 15 years. Yeah. Uh, and that is exactly how it would go. Yeah. It'd be <laughs> the first year. It'd be great. You'd have people up there having spiritual revelations and life-changing experiences and all the rest. And within a couple of years, you'd have spaceships shaped like fucking pink hummers taking bucks and hens nights up to space so they could do selfies with the earth. And it'd just be this completely co-opted nothing. And then <laughs> flash forward another couple of years and it's like, oh yeah, it's just the fucking earth, mate. Yeah. Whatever. Gotta, yeah. get to, gotta get to the moon and get a fucking McDonald's. Yeah. Like, I think it summed that whole thing up, just how quickly we become um, immune to the most glorious of all things. Right, yeah. Uh, I, I really don't have anything to add to that other than I just agree with all of it. All of it. I couldn't stop laughing. Even his, his conversation with his daughter yeah. is just like, do you, do you love her? Yeah. He does. He loves her as much as a person can love their child yeah. in this weird world where yeah. everyone talks through screens. Oh, does that? Oh, oh, does that sound very familiar? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> it is a fun time to watch this movie again, yeah, isn't it? Man. Yeah. The disconnect yeah. and that kind of weird performativity that everyone has. Yeah. Hello, how are you? Oh, even oh, the guy trying to get information yeah. about what's going on on the moon. Yeah, of course. It's just all this just surface level kind of you know. I mean, the 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 fact that. Uh, I noticed this time, you know, you've got this, the first montage with the um, Blue blue Danube. Yeah. Uh, and it's, you know, these beautiful spinning space stations and orbs and the earth and everything. By the third montage, they're approaching the instructions for the toilet with the same grandeur 
as you were approaching the moon oh, 25 yeah. minutes earlier. Yeah, yeah. It's now while he's reading instructions to take a shit. Yeah. It's just like, yeah, like how quickly how quickly everything's just become, yeah, it's all the same shit, who cares? Oh, that is so funny. Within 20 minutes, like, yeah, who cares? Like, whatever, we're on a space station. Oh, mate. Like this, you know what this movie doesn't also, that's so funny, I hadn't thought that. You know, something else that this movie doesn't get credit for yeah. is that little girl is not only really comfortable talking to a screen yeah. she wants a phone yeah, yeah of course no, like that, that moment yeah like this is the first time a telephone I, I don't know like not that i've thought the opposite of this but that was the moment when that happened that i was like oh man i wish kubrick was alive god it's, i wish he was alive oh, yeah for so many reasons oh. but for that moment where he'd be like like because it's funny like back then it must have been a telephone like even the dad Everyone's got yeah, no telephone. Yep. Perfect. Yep. Yeah. Everything that this this is the thing that I think we will discover the more we engage with sci-fi is on a long enough timeline, it all comes true. It's yeah. all true. It's all real. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, everyone was commenting a few years ago about the iPads that the astronauts use. Yeah. Not that they're iPads, but you know, um, it's definitely a case of life imitating art. But I mean, obviously that stands out. But it's it's so much more in the last few years. Like I say, yeah. the you know the the um, in space travel available for all, um, the commercialization of space. Yeah, you know, I don't know if you noticed there was a um, it's Pan Am. Pan Am, and then there was a... Oh, I can't remember the name of the fast food chain oh, on yeah. the moon. Yeah. It's very subtle. It's not as gaudy as it would actually be in real life. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, all of that stuff. I mean, it's so much of it. it just and, and AI, of course. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And the idea that we sacrifice all of our decision makings to a fucking program. That might not be a great idea, guys. Might not be a great might idea. Might not be. Um, you can... It's also the bureaucracy mm. that is up there, yeah. which is really uninspired people sitting around <laughs> yeah. speaking in really uninspired ways. No wonder they go, oh, yeah, let's take a photo, mate. Um, Don't you find that hilarious that yeah. they take a photo yeah. and, the, and that the thing turns on them as soon as they take a photo of it? I hadn't really thought about it turning on them. <laughs> but, the, you know, there is kind of... Um, yeah, it's funny. It's like imagine if the... the uh, Primitive people had uh, touched it and then turned around and then Gary just fucking drew a picture. Yes, yeah, of course. But that's the thing. The, it, it's the contrast because there's a lot of contrast, I think, between the ape civilization and the modern civilization. You yeah. know, the ape civilization is all passion and frenzy and fury yeah. and the modern civilization is cold. Yeah. You know, they, they sterile. literally sterile. They literally communicate to their children through screens, yeah. not just Hayward talking to his daughter, but later on, the I can't remember the second asteroid's name, when his parents oh, call yeah. off for his birth. And it's one of the saddest Frank scenes Gould. in film history, that sad violin music playing as he just lies there looking like he's on Valium while his parents sing happy birthday. And, oh, then, yeah. and then literally say, anyway, I can't think of anything else to say, so see you later. Yeah, <laughs> oh, God. God. Like, I'd yeah. make me an ape man. But again, with their approach to the monolith, the apes approach it with this real sense of like, Something. You know, oh, yeah. oh, oh, oh. Yeah. And the, the, I mean, Haywood has a moment with it. Yeah. But in the main, it's more just like, aren't we great? Look what we found. Check it yeah. out. Photo time. And... The, I, I interpreted it as the monolith going, get the fuck out of here. Okay. You've, so you're, you're, using, you're engaging with me in the wrong way. I specifically have a question for that, but I, there's some other things before we get to right. that, which is uh, also uh, something that is interesting is the fact that uh, they don't, they don't want to let anyone know because they're scared of what will happen. And, uh, you know, especially if, you know, humanity finds out, um, I found that really fascinating with now because, you know, something that you and I have not talked about mm. and I have not talked about to anyone, mm. which is yeah. insane to me. Like all that UFO stuff oh, no. that they've all admitted to. Yeah. Like we are so mm. whatevs, no big oops, mm. that like we're not even having this as a, as a mocking conversation. Like it was like, oh, they're going to release it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that seems... Like Dude, it makes sense. A, spa right. a spaceship could land in every major city on Earth, and I reckon within two days, everyone would be like, "Yeah, okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah." It would be what uh, next. <laughs> what's uh, District uh, District Nine? Yeah, I just, oh, think, yeah, just I like... just think we we are we are so post post reason and reality at this point that yeah. I believe anything could happen, yeah. and, and it wouldn't. Yeah, a spaceship would land at the SCG, and within two days, it would be graffiti. Of course. 
course. <laughs> or, you know, we'd go down the usual path of total xenophobia and freak out. And, yeah. you know, I, I, I really, I, I, it does seem, have you ever heard of that Paul Laffley theory about the, the, the merger between fictional reality and our reality? No. So, so his, who is he? Paul Laffley was this uh, painter, did cos- very cosmic works that right. were supposed to kind of upgrade your consciousness when you engage with them. Whether or not they did, I, I never saw them for real. But he had some interesting ideas. His, his idea was that um, 9-11 was a temporal rift between the fiction world that we have created through our collective imaginings, yep. similar to the world of League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, yep. something like that, the, the realm of fiction, yep. uh, that... And, you know, we're very much into the theory of the realm of fiction being just as real as yeah. our realm, you know. Yeah. Superman's not real, but he's definitely affected more lives than you or I ever will. Yeah. Uh, so, in a lot of ways, he's more real. Um, and then Lavely's theory is that those planes on 9-11 were the juncture out of fiction into our reality. Oh, because right. the big the big thing of the day was like, oh my God, it was like a movie. It was just exactly yeah. like a movie. Yeah. And it was. It was exactly like a movie. Yeah. And ever since then the the rift's been getting bigger and bigger and our consensus objective reality becomes more and more like our fiction. Right. You know, with the in- incursion of this just mind blowing technology that was in Star Trek. 40 years ago yeah. and and the fact that the more weird shit that happens the more normalized it all becomes and we become just like well this is just how it is now right and we're going to see more of that in the next five years with technological breakthroughs and you know god knows what else happens yeah. um, i mean even the pandemic there's this there's this weird sense of inevitability to right. it right do you know what i mean right like no one's surprised. Oh, and and all of the reactions. Yeah, you know. Oh, yeah. Of course, the government's going to yeah. fuck it up. Of oh, course of gov- course, of course, the rich people are going to be in a situation where they'll be better off. Oh, of course, people are going to be fucking idiots and riots. Like, of course, yeah. of course, and it's going to be people gonna- who don't listen to the information and take a vaccine. Of course, you know? of course, because you know it's the perfect shitstorm of we're now in this place where um, objective truth is this quaint notion of the past. Right. I mean, how do you how do you know what's true? I mean, uh, nice first year philosophy thesis but yeah. please there are some objective truths <laughs> you yeah. know otherwise we wouldn't have got to this place where we could have debates on supercomputers uh that use quantum f- anyway yeah. um I can't, i've lost the point of what i was saying yes anyway that theory of um fiction becoming more like reality and i think this movie um sums that up a lot of the astronauts that went into the space program they would come back to Earth and say it was just like 2001. Right, right. <laughs> not, right. not I was in space as a, you know, pink yeah. monkey and, whoa, isn't it crazy? Yeah. But no, it was just like that movie that I saw. Yeah, right. <laughs> wow. Um, well, that's because Kubrick made both. He made 2001 and space. That's it. Yep, that makes sense. Yep. Um, uh, oh, so... So I'd written down, it is fascinating to watch the scene set in 2001 where everyone is so polite and precise while our forebears are just jumping up and down and reacting. <laughs> One of the setbacks with awareness is that we just become really self-conscious. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I actually think that self-aware, like the awareness that we have achieved as a species is ultimately what will lead to our downfall. Yeah. Because it's think- almost like you can't believe it. I can't believe this is happening because I'm not really connected with it i'm not i don't quite have the like i'm not panicking like i should well you can't like you can't be in a state of constant fight or flight yeah but i i I just in a wider sense i think that the hardware of our brains is not we're trying to run you know like a 2021 software in a 1989 computer Yep. And I think that that has caused a massive rift between our animal selves and our human need. And now we're in this weird circumstance. I think we're too self-conscious for our own good. Yep. And I think in lieu of wood to chop and caves to decorate and villages to build and everything, we just drive ourselves slowly insane. Yeah, I think that's what happens. We all turn into the dog in the backyard yapping, especially yep. in these current circumstances where we're all locked inside all day. Yeah, And even the, you know, the, the interaction that we could have had is denied us. Yeah. Um, Anyway, sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. Don't apologize. No, I agree with all of this. And uh, not unlike 2001, we're going to have an intermission. Thank 
you very much for listening to our first episode of Space Policy. Remember, part two of this deep dive into 2001 will be available as of tomorrow night. Thank you also to our Patreon subscriber, Tom Dahl. I hope you enjoyed this episode too, and I look forward to sharing more of our ideas over the next few months. If you'd like to become a member, head over to the Patreon site and type in Justin Hamilton Big Squid, and you can find a tier that suits you best. If you're enjoying our work here, please leave us a top review on Apple Podcasts. Or if you think you have some friends who'd like to be a part of this, then word of mouth is always the best recommendation. Uh, I can't thank you enough for listening. As a heads up, next week's sci-fi movie is the cult classic Under the Skin, starring Scarlett Johansson. Have you seen that before? It's a pretty great film. It kind of flies under the radar a little bit. So if you want to watch it before you listen to the podcast, you've got yourself roughly a week to get that under your belt. Let's finish this episode with a quote from Stanley Kubrick. A film is, or should be, more like music than like fiction. It should be a progression of moods and feelings. The theme, what's behind the emotion, the meaning, all that comes later. Felt like a, an appropriate quote for 2001. I'll check in with you tomorrow. Until then. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag? Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.